This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Terror rears its ugly head once again. The latest attack in Brussels. Welcome to the program. I don't know what it's going to take, folks, for the world, but specifically the United States of America, we have to lead on this. I don't know what it's going to take for us to open our eyes. When I say us, I'm talking about our government, not only the White House, but the Congress as well, and the courts to understand the threat we face from Obama's JV team, ISIS. Remember that? He says they're contained. It's the JV team just because they put on a Kobe Bryant uniform or a Lakers uniform doesn't make them Kobe Bryant. This is what we're dealing with. A man, Obama, who does not understand the threat, who wants to blame the United States of America. He wants to blame Christianity. He wants to blame Jews. He wants to blame xenophobia. He wants to blame everybody except these evil bastards from the Middle East. I think what happened in Brussels is indication that we can no longer use a law enforcement paradigm to deal with terror. You've heard me talk about that extensively on this program. This suspect, Salah, Abdel Sam, I think that's how it's pronounced, was arrested in Brussels Friday, a week ago, almost a week, a week ago. And then the other day, Tuesday, the terror attack happened in Brussels. And I thought, what irony. They were waiting to extradite him back to France. It's a law enforcement paradigm. The minute that evil individual was taken into custody, he should have been subjected to enhanced interrogation techniques, EIT, yes, waterboarding. They should have begun waterboarding immediately. Did they think they were going to be able to sit in a room across from this guy and have him just lay his cards down down out on the table? And start to identify everybody involved and, and what they were up to. I mean, are we that naive? Waterboarding works. We know that. The rest of the world is going to have to get on board and, and, and get rid themselves of this naive notion that we can use this linear 
well, we'll just talk to people. We'll communicate with them. I remember the news stories coming out after his arrest in Brussels, this Abdel Sam, Abdel Slam, I think. I, I, I don't know how his name is pronounced. And they were saying, oh, this is going to yield a treasure trove of intelligence. No, it isn't. Not unless you waterboard. Then it will. Waiting to extradite him back to France? They should have realized. Because if you recall, not too long ago in Brussels, they shut the city down. Because they were hearing chatter about terror attacks. They literally brought the city to a standstill. So they get this guy. They know attacks are imminent. And they want to start extradition proceedings? Seriously? Maybe, just maybe, had they started waterboarding this individual, this evil individual, as soon as they took him into custody, they may have learned about these pending attacks and who's involved. You know, you're not going to stop every terror attack. But if you want to successfully prevent, deter, disrupt terror plots, you need intelligence, good intelligence. It is not long into the future where one of those type terror attacks will happen in the United States. It's just a matter of time. Because ISIS does not have our attention, and they want our attention. It's like Al-Qaeda. The system was blinking red. The warning flags were there. The red flags were there with the 9-11 hijackers, and we ignored it, brushed it off, refused to deal with it. Clinton administration. Did the Bush administration miss some things? Probably This goes beyond partisanship, but let me tell you this right now. This country cannot afford to put Mrs. Bill Clinton or Bernie Sanders in as commander-in-chief and have us survive this terror period. The GOP can win this election alone. On the immigration issue, because there are terror implications to that, and they can win this election alone on Homeland Security. The Democrats have proved, including this guy in the White House now, but not only him, but listen to some of the rhetoric coming out of Sanders and Mrs. Bill Clinton. They have proven that they cannot and will not fulfill their most solemn duty as President of the United States, and that is to protect the American people. Not to protect Islam, not to protect Muslims, not to protect the Middle East, but to protect the United States of America and its people and confront this problem wherever it is in the world and whatever the cost. You know, we start getting bogged down into discussions of, well, ground troops or no ground troops. Uh, well, you know, is there some other way that we can, we got to stop that nonsense. 
We have to have a strategy, a clearly outlined strategy with goals and objectives that we can communicate to the American people. Remember Colin Powell in the first desert war with Saddam Hussein when they went into Kuwait. And then General, I mean, still a general, but he was serving at the time. He said this when he was interviewed on TV about what's the overall goal, strategy, to drive out Saddam Hussein. And he said, first, we're going to surround the enemy. Then we're going to kill it, cut off its head. Those are the words he used. He didn't go into this long diatribe of nonsensical rhetoric. We're going to cut it off and we're going to kill it, he said. That's what I mean about a clear, easy to understand goal to defeat this evil. But we don't have the will, at least. Our government doesn't have the will. I look at some of the things we're doing following the 9-11 Commission, and it just makes me shake my head, ladies and gentlemen. I say, what are we doing? Have we no clue? Apparently we don't. When we come back, I'm going to get into some of the things that we're still doing that just defy Logic and reasoning. David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Our immigration program is going to be the death of us. I should say our lack of immigration enforcement. Let me restate that. Our lack of immigration enforcement in the United States is going to be the death of us. So here we are once again with this refugee program and Obama and the left fighting tooth and nail. I wish they had that kind of tenacity when it came to protecting the United States and standing up for the United States and the American people instead of Islam and Muslims. And I don't mean all Muslims. And I shouldn't have to say that. I'm getting sick of having to qualify this stuff because the left stands ready to take something you say and contort it into something that you didn't say. And so you have to qualify it. I'm not saying all Muslims. Because the left are idiots. So they're trying to force through this refugee program, and we've seen, we, we know terrorists have infiltrated the refugees. There are some legitimate refugees 
from Syria, from other places in the world trying to get in. They've infiltrated it. And they're trying to convince us, and the FBI, by the way, says it can't be done, James Comey, director. They're trying to convince us this can be carefully done, that they can be vetted carefully, strictly. No, they can't. Because there's no records to compare these individuals to from their home country. So they're about to unleash all of these refugees into the United States. We're already dealing with the homegrown radical problem here, the radicalized American here on U.S. soil. And now the left wants to allow a heavy influx of war-age fighting males, disaffected males who hate the United States into the country out of the goodness of our hearts? They won't profile. The United States Department of Justice and the Attorney General, the United States Attorney General, refuses to allow the FBI to profile for terror suspects. Directives have been issued. They will not let them open up cases out of sensitivity. They have to have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. That's a law enforcement paradigm. There must be probable cause to open up a case. And it better result quickly into evidence to make an arrest. That's not intelligence work. It's investigative work. We're not trying to investigate these individuals. We're trying to identify them and kill them before they kill us. Not take them into custody and subject them to American jurisprudence. And then you have this issue of Gitmo. I mean, come on, presidential candidates in the GOP. Connect the dots. Come up with a narrative that the American people will understand, not the people on the left. Forget about them. They're idiots. They hate America. The president's trying to close Gitmo. That's where this clown, Salah Abdel Slam, would have been taken had the United States have captured him. What, we're going to put him in an American jail? Are you kidding me? We need Gitmo, and we need Gitmo to remain open. We need to allow the CIA to use enhanced interrogation techniques, waterboarding, to get information out of these individuals, to identify them sooner, to disrupt the plot's Sooner, San Bernardino, Obama, FBI, and the Boston bombing, Obama, and and the FBI, who had indications on both of these individuals, but out of political correctness and sensitivity, to Muslims, refused to go after them. And now let's look at our airports. Here we are. 
14 years after 9-11, and I've said on this program and I've said publicly, we need to recalibrate our approach to domestic terror. We're still looking at people, American citizens, naked at airports. We won't let them take bottles of water through a checkpoint. We, we make them take their shoes off. We're stripping down young kids. The TSA. And we think we're doing one hell of a job of disrupting terror when we're not. We are punishing the American people for the government's inability to protect us. So let's take a look at the last couple of uh, terror incidents worldwide. Remember the one? I think it was a Russian airliner. Where some airport workers snuck the bomb onto the plane. Correct me if I'm wrong if it wasn't the Russian airliner. And the plane blew up. They infiltrated, they, they, they attacked the outer perimeter to get the bomb on the plane. An airport worker. And now let's look at Brussels. They attacked the non-secure portion of the airport. So they didn't have to get beyond a checkpoint. They didn't have to try to get through screening. This is what I'm talking about. These are the things we're still doing here in the United States. We're just pissing off the American people not suspected of terrorism. You assign risk assessments to these things, risk calculations. What is the likelihood is is what you ask. You don't say we want zero possibility. There's no such thing. Not without bringing air travel to a grinding halt. It's costing billions of dollars. If you remember, if you remember what Al-Qaeda said they wanted to do in attacking America, they wanted to get the American people pissed off at their government because of the crackdowns on things and and, and altering our way of life. And they wanted this to be so costly that it would bankrupt us. They have succeeded on both fronts. Israel doesn't do it this way. MI5 doesn't do it this way. How many times have you heard me say we need a true domestic intelligence agency in the United States responsible solely for intelligence? Intelligence is not about gathering evidence to make an arrest or to convict somebody in court. That's investigative work. And a true intelligence agency with trained analysts and collectors identifies patterns, red flags start to appear. And that's where you take action. That's how you disrupt. That's how you detect terror plots with intelligence. The FBI is not a domestic intelligence agency. I don't care that the Congress has labeled them as responsible for it. It is not. It is incapable. And it's not through the fault of the agents. They're not trained to be analysts and collectors. They are, tra- they are trained to look for evidence of crimes. That means you have to wait. We don't have 
Time to wait. David Clark. The People's Sheriff. On the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Your family in a political race is off limits if you make them off limits. But the second they appear with you as part of the ideal American family, that's the reason they ought to elect you, and you use them as a prop, I don't care if it's your six-month-old child or your 800-year-old grandmother, then they are fair game. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Blaze Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. I said our lack of immigration enforcement in the United States was going to be the death of us. Terror notwithstanding, that's just one aspect. But there's also the local crime issue. Where American citizens are being victimized violently by people in the country illegally. And we have the Obama administration... The Department of Homeland Security and the United States Department of Justice, Loretta Lynch, Jay Johnson with uh, DHS, providing cover for these dangerous criminals and trying to couch this that this is some sort of xenophobia, that we have a fear of immigrants. This is amazing. I was interviewed in Fox and Friends last week by Tucker Carlson on the immigration issue. Here's what I had to say. I want you to listen to this. Later today, protesters in favor of illegal immigration plan to hold major rallies in Phoenix and New York City, protesting Donald Trump's stance on the question. Our next guest says he's seen firsthand who these protesters really are, and they're not who you might expect. Joining us now from Nashville is Milwaukee County, Wisconsin Sheriff David Clark. Sheriff, it's great to see you this morning. The hat is fantastic. I, I, I can't deny it. I love it. Um, so tell us who these protesters are. We're getting one version from the Daily Press. You say you've seen them and you have a well, first of all, the Daily Press has misidentified them from the beginning, and they do so uh, intentionally. The liberal mainstream media is nothing more than a propaganda wing for the Democrat Party. I identified these individuals uh, for who they really are well over a year ago. I call them anarchists. It's a conglomeration of misfits. You have rowdy juveniles. You have criminals. You have cop haters. You have university students. You have organized labor. And there's a spattering of well-intentioned people who are being used in this and are put out front to put on a good face. This is a dangerous movement. It is a totalitarian movement. We should not uh, soft-shoe this. this. They only understand one thing, Tucker, and it's force. And I'm talking about reasonable force by law enforcement, but I'm also talking about law-abiding citizens standing up for their constitutional rights and not have their constitutional rights trampled on right. at these rallies. I'm not encouraging them to start the fight, but I'm one of those that comes from the school, if a fight is inevitable, hit first and hit hard. So I'm a little bit confused by their position because nobody in the press ever asked them what exactly they're for. Is the idea that it's immoral for a country to have borders and that anyone who wants to move to a country has a moral right to do that and to get all the benefits of citizenship without being a citizen? Is that what they're arguing? 
it sounds like it to me, but look, every sovereign nation has a duty and an obligation and a vested interest to protect its borders. And it has to protect its borders for a number of reasons. One of them is homeland security issues. Another one is to spread the and prevent the um, spread of infectious diseases like the Ebola virus. Remember that one? And now the Zika virus. Any pregnant woman in the United States has to be very afraid that this United States government is not doing everything it can to prevent the spread of uh, the Zika virus. And the other reason that the United States uh, has a, a duty and obligation is because we want to make sure we don't have a heavy influence of ne'er-do-wells. Let's be honest about this. The the overwhelming majority of people in the United States illegally are not here seeking political asylum. Hmm. But it also raises a philosophical question, which is, if you don't have borders, are you a country? No, you're not. That's why I said every sovereign nation. You know, every uh, country in the United States protects its borders. As a matter of fact, we have some of the most lax immigration laws in the world and it is high time and i think it's going to be a big issue in this campaign and i heard mrs bill clinton say several weeks ago that the border is secure look nobody believes the border is secure she knows the border isn't secure unless she thinks we're stupid it'd be interesting to see if a protest like this broke out in say mexico city where people demanded that the mexican government let everyone from salvador guatemala uh... and nicaragua in who wanted to come in you don't see protests like that in other countries i notice no, and this isn't protest anyway. Let's not misidentify this, okay? This is rebellion. This is an anarchist movement. They specialize in fear and intimidation and chaos, and they do it in the name of virtue. The only thing they understand, like I said, is force. And I'm talking reasonable force here. But like you said, in Mexico, if this were to happen and outsiders were coming in, this thing would have been crushed a long time ago. I, I think you're probably right there. Sheriff, it's great to see you this morning. Thanks a lot for joining us. My pleasure. So I come across a story in Fox News, foxnews.com. Four illegal immigrants charged in rape beating, two were previously deported. Four illegal aliens from Guatemala are charged in the rape of a Massachusetts woman and the vicious beating of her boyfriend. And one of the suspects was arrested less than a month before the attack, but he was not reported to immigration authorities. Folks, that is the sanctuary city issue here in the United States. But you know, Massachusetts subscribed to that sort of, of uh, lunacy. Federal immigration officials have requested detainers on Elmer Diaz, Ariel Diaz, Aiden Diaz, and Marlon Jose Harquin Felipe following their arrest March 13th. Aiden had previously been arrested for drunk driving on February 22nd, and Ariel was arrested for drunk driving in December but immigration officials told the Herald they were never made aware of this, that these guys were in custody. See, that's that sanctuary city stuff. Ariel was also convicted of drunk driving and disorderly conduct and sent back to Guatemala in May of 2014, but he re-entered the United States at some point, according to Immigration and Customs, Customs Enforcement. One of these other guys, the uh, Harquin Felipe, was also deported in 2014, but managed to again cross the border into the U.S. undetected. Yet Mrs. Bill Clinton, a week ago, continued to maintain that the border is secure. Yet the Obama administration and Jay Johnson are telling us they are now uh, issuing a policy to order that the ICE, that ICE, ICE and, and uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, be notified on all detainers, and that they, those detainers be honored. 
They're just straight up lying to us, ladies and gentlemen. So here's, here was the story. The man and woman who have not been identified, they're walking down a street on a, March, on a night of March 13th when they were allegedly approached by the men. One offered them a beer while the other took out a condom. The men grabbed the woman and physically detained the man. They began carrying her against her will. She said she tried to stop the man, her feet down, but one of them picked her legs up and they carried her into an apartment. So these guys start groping the woman in one room as her boyfriend entered the home. So then they were able to break free and they, they ran off and, and these individuals are arrested. And yet we're told that the Obama administration is starting to crack down on detainers and sanctuaries. It's a lie. Here's a story now from the Washington Times. Border agents. DHS has no intention of deporting illegals. A top Homeland Security official told Border Patrol agents the Obama administration has no intention of deporting many of the illegal immigrants caught up, uh, caught trying to sneak into the country, ordering instead that they be released so they don't clog up the courts, a leading advocate for agents testified to Congress. Brandon Judd, who's the president of the National Border Patrol Council, he said that this administration has no intention on deporting these individuals. It says here, it also suggests the Border Patrol is being ordered to break President Obama's own enforcement priorities, which say new illegal immigrants defined as those who came in after December 31st of 2013 are priorities for deportation and are supposed to be arrested and processed, but yet we know they aren't. Mr. Judge provided his testimony in written answers released Monday by the House Judiciary Committee, saying that even in some criminal cases, criminal cases, agents are ordered to let illegal immigrants go without ever issuing them a notice to notice to appear, which is what puts which put what puts them into deportation proceedings. Mr. Judd said they took their cases directly to Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, who told them not to bother. Deputy Secretary Mayorkas told us that the Border Patrol needs to focus its resources toward the worst of the worst. See, that's why I said drunk driving and just just throw it out the window. But then later these guys come along and try to rape a woman. Back to the story, he said that by prioritizing those we choose to deport, we will help alleviate the burden on an already overburdened court system. You know why the court system is overburdened? Because we have so many illegal aliens in this country. The system is overwhelmed. That's why. And so these people are allowed to stay in the country to victimize law-abiding Americans. And, of course, Customs and Border Protection, the agency that oversees the Border Patrol, declined to comment on Mr. Judd's testimony. You know why they declined to comment? Because they don't want to lie. They don't want to have to lie. Let's put They don't mind lying, but they don't want to have to lie. I'm sure this Mr. Judd has evidence 
that would catch them up in that lie. It's just, I mean, listen to this. Quote, why would we give those people notices to appear who we have no intention of deporting? He also stated, quote, we should not place someone in deportation proceedings when the courts already have a three to six year backlog. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a disaster. This is a domestic intelligence I'm sorry, a domestic security crisis. That's how bad this is. A domestic security crisis. We cannot afford one more year of Barack Obama. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. There will always be another reason, another rationale for terrorist mass murder. Because they have bought into a cult. They believe that they are part of a religious tradition that has an absolute obligation to wipe out all other belief systems and force people to submit. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. To David Clark, the People's Sheriff. In the final segment here, I'm going to read a piece from you that appeared in the National Review this week. Some of you may have seen it, many of you may have not. I think it's worth reading for those of you who did not come across this. It's written by Dr. Thomas Sowell. Dr. Sowell, you've heard me talk about him on this program, is one of the most brilliant thinkers, authors, writers of our time. You've also heard me talk about how the true picture of racism in America is the American left. And he writes about it in his column this week, and it's called The Left's Racist Past. Much is made of the fact that liberals and conservatives see racial issues differently, which they do. But these differences have too often been seen simply as those on the right being racist and those on the left not. You can cherry-pick the evidence to reach that conclusion, but you can also cherry-pick the evidence to reach the opposite conclusion. During the heyday of the progressive movement in the early 20th century, people on the left were in the forefront of those promoting doctrines of innate genetic inferiority of not only blacks, but also of people from Eastern Europe and Southern Europe as compared with people from Western Europe. Liberals today tend to either glide over the undeniable racism of progressive President Wilson, or else they treat it as some anomaly of some sort. But racism on the left at the time was not an anomaly, either for President Woodrow Wilson or for more numerous other stalwarts of the progressive movement. An influential 1960 bestseller, The Passing of the Great Race, Celebrating Nordic Europeans, was written by Madison Grant, a staunch activist for progressive causes such as endangered species, municipal reform, conservation, and the creation of national parks. He was a member of an exclusive social club founded by Republican progressive Theodore Roosevelt and Grant and Franklin D. Roosevelt became friends in the 1920s addressing one another in letters as My Dear Frank and My Dear Madison. Grant's book was translated into German and Adolf Hitler called it his Bible. Progressive spearheaded the eugenics movement. 
dedicated to reducing the reproduction of supposedly inferior individuals and races. The eugenics movement spawned Planned Parenthood, among other groups. In academia, there were 376 courses devoted to eugenics in 1920. Progressive intellectuals who crusaded against the admission of immigrants from Eastern Europe and Southern Europe branded them as genetically inferior, including many prominent academic scholars, such as heads of such scholarly organizations as the American Economic Association and the American Sociological Association. Southern segregationists who railed against blacks were often also progressives who railed against Wall Street. Back in those days, blacks voted for Republicans as automatically as they vote for Democrats today. Wilson introduced racial segregation into those government agencies in Washington where it did not exist at the time. Republican President Calvin Coolidge's wife invited the wives of black congressmen to the White House. As late as 1957, civil rights legislation was sponsored in Congress by Republicans and opposed by Democrats. Later, when the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was sponsored by Democrats, a higher percentage of congressional Republicans voted for it than did congressional Democrats. Revisionist histories tell a different story. But as Casey Stengel used to say, you could look it up in the congressional record in this case. Conservatives who took part in the civil rights marches or who were otherwise for equal rights for blacks have not made nearly as much noise about it as liberals do. The first time I saw a white professor at a white university with a black secretary was Milton Friedman at the University of Chicago in 1960, four years before the Civil Rights Act of 1964. She was still his secretary when he died in 2006. But in all those years, I never once heard Professor Friedman mention in public or in private, that he had a black secretary. By all accounts, she was an outstanding secretary, and that was all that mattered. The biggest difference between the left and the right today when it comes to racial issues is that liberals tend to take the side of those blacks who are doing wrong things. Hoodlums. The left depicts as martyrs, while the right defends those blacks more likely to be the victims of those hoodlums. Rudy Giuliani, when he was a Republican mayor of New York, probably saved more black lives than any other human being by promoting aggressive policing against hoodlums, which brought the murder rate down to a fraction of what it was before. A lot depends on whether you judge by ringing words or judge by actual consequences. Again, that is Dr. Thomas Sowell, a senior fellow at the Hoover Institute of Stanford University. His website, excuse me, and I I would suggest you go to it, is T-S-O-W-E-L-L.com. Some comments. I got a chance to meet Dr. Sowell. I was out at the Hoover Institute, Stanford University, several weeks ago. It was one of my Highest, what? Achievements. I will call it achievement to have met Dr. Soul because he's a very private person. And when I reached out to him, he sent me a, 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 a signed copy of his book, by the way, 
wealth, poverty, and politics in an international perspective. I suggest that you read it. I talked about it on this program. Dr. Soul is a wealth of knowledge. Dr. Soul is a stalwart in terms of freedom and liberty, the Constitution, what's right. He's a big supporter of the police. I've read several of his pieces um, in support of the American police officers, all during this this Ferguson, Missouri, and uh, uh, Baltimore mess, and the uh, the New York, and some of the other rebellions that were being done by these cop-hating anarchists. And I have this list of people I'd like to meet. He's near the top of that list. Clarence Thomas is on that list. I met both of these men within a week. And I don't know if it was fortuitous or what. But I was out in Washington, D.C., and I got a chance to meet Clarence Thomas in his chambers. He and I, in a one-on-one, I had been reaching out to him. I just want to be in the presence of the greatness that these two Americans are. To be able to say that I touched them, that I talked to them, that I got to pick their brain. And here's some of their stories. The stories that they relayed to me were phenomenal from growing up in a country that was segregated how each of them grasped education as that traditional vehicle to upward mobility in the United States. The men in their lives, how their lives were forged by experiences. Both, ironically, had early exposure to libraries. And they were colored-only libraries at the time. It was really phenomenal to have met both of these individuals. But, you know, in in closing here, I want to say this. We're in the fight of our lives. We have to win this fight for the survival of this republic. And I just hope that everybody who tunes into this program is ready for this fight. Because it's not going to be a white glove affair. It's going to be bare knuckles. You're going to have to be willing to get your knuckles bloody metaphorically. And I'll end it with that. A blessed Easter to all of you. The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio.